Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded on Friday, February 22nd, 2019, live from the Etail West Trade Show here in somewhat sunny Palm Desert. <laughs> Maybe not as sunny as we'd all have liked. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and unfortunately, due to travel issues, Scott couldn't be here today, so you're getting twice the Jason for half the usual cost. Um... Here at Etail, one of the big uh, topics of conversation has been new retail concepts that are blowing up. And so we thought, um, what better guest to have on the show than one of those concepts? So uh, today we have the president of ThreadUp, Anthony Marino, on the show. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you, Jason. Great to be here. Uh, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, longtime listeners of the show will know we always like to start by getting a little bit of background about the guest. So can you tell us how you, you came into your role? Sure. So I've been at ThreadUp about six years. And I came to ThreadUp. Uh, it it, it is actually is an interesting story. I came home from work one day six, seven years ago, and my wife had a big green polka dot box on our kitchen table. And that was a ThreadUp box. And she reached into the box. She said, come here, I have to show you something. And she reached into the box and she sort of unfurled this very good-looking cashmere sweater. And she said, I bought this for 80 bucks." And I was like, okay. And she said, this is a $500 cashmere sweater. And I was like, okay. And she said, and it's used. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so – she then told me the thread up story where she had sent in a bunch of our kids and her clothes to thread up, got credit to shop on the site from sending in her stuff. She could have cashed that money out, but she kept it on thread up to shop and she bought this amazing sweater that was used at a great deal. And she said to me, you need to go work for this company. And then about six months later, we had moved to California. I was renting a house in the East Bay. My kids were crying because they missed all their friends in New York and a, a big adventure in in e-commerce marketplaces and retail and secondhand started for me. Wow. So side note, I'd be really focused on your wife's new interests and shopping habits if they're going to that <laughs> directly affect your career. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's a smart, smart person. So I, I listen to her advice. Uh, I feel At like least we, that's what I say publicly. <laughs> exactly. We, we all benefit from marrying up. Um, so you sort of alluded to it, but let's jump into yeah. the thread up story a little bit. Uh, like, uh, can you kind of give us the, the rundown on the value prop? Yeah. Well, the, the, the founding story precedes me by a couple of years. Our founder and, and CEO, James Reinhardt, looked into his closet and just saw a closet full of clothing that he, that he didn't want to wear. But all of the clothing was in, was in fantastic shape. And I think if you, if you fast forward to today where Marie Kondo is encouraging people to, to spark joy by removing things from their homes that they don't use or don't love anymore, his insight in his closet on, on that one day many years ago in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts turned out to be something that millions and millions of people were experiencing is that they bought a lot of things that they weren't wearing or enjoying. In fact, those things were even making them feel guilty or unhappy because they were taking up space and they were reminders of mistakes from purchases past. And uh, he said, I want to figure out a way to uh, make it easy for people to easily get rid of these things, know that they're not going to be wasting or destroying the earth and, and getting into good hands, 
And, um, and that was really the birth of ThreadUp. It was how to help people clean out and make amazing use of the things they're no longer wearing, in particular women's and kids' clothes, and then provide amazing deals for the people on the other side of that equation for whom those, fi- those were amazing finds. They were treasures. That's awesome. So if uh, just uh, I like to re, uh, repeat to see if I get it right. Um, basically, you're a sort of a two-sided marketplace for consignment. So you get uh, people that have stuff in their closet that they uh, come to, to regret or in uh, end of usefulness for them. They send those to you. Uh, you you go through a process, onboard those, keep the ones that are resellable, and list those on a e-commerce site that consumers can then shop for like uh, high value products at at uh, uh, meaningful prices. That that's right. About there's about twenty five to thirty five thousand brands listed on ThreadUp. At any given moment, there's two million plus items on the site, and they're up to seventy, eighty, ninety percent off retail, and they're in like new condition. So it's the things that America has in its closets are beautiful <laughs> for, for the most part. A lot, the vast majority are, and we take those things that come to us and we we price them and attribute them and photograph them and put them online. So it's super easy for the person who wants to clean out. And then for the person on the other side who wants to buy great brands at great prices, it's just as easy as shopping new on any other e-commerce site. Awesome. And um, I, I have no trouble imagining that there's uh, super valuable merchandise in all of our closets that we don't use. Uh, I imagine not everything in our closet is super valuable, and I, I feel like there's some remorse about what happens to that. Like, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to tell me you have a good story for how you disposition the stuff that maybe isn't as sellable. Yeah, our our, our goal and our commitment is that um, you know we have a 100% reuse goal and commitment for the items we receive. So there's a couple things we can do with items that people send to us that aren't a high enough quality to be listed on our site or in one of our stores or with one of our retail partners. So we'll, we can send those things back to them. We can say, hey, uh, for the items we don't accept, you can you can pay a little bit in shipping and we'll send them back to you. By the way, most people, you know, they do that only once. They, they don't want to see it come back again. They're like, wait, how'd that happen? Why did I do that? And then there are some things that we can uh, distribute through uh, our partners who can sell those at consignment stores that don't have the quality standards that we have. Uh, some of those things can be recycled into carpets and and um, if you've ever gone to the car wash, those those rags that they use to dry your car off, those fibers can be recycled into into other um, future fu- future fabrics. And um, and so yeah, that's that's how we do it. Gotcha. And one of the things that seems cool about your model to me, uh, some two fundamental problems you have with a lot of marketplace models are that you have trouble guaranteeing a service level. So like when eBay matches a buyer to a seller. They can't necessarily guarantee how fast that seller is going to ship the goods to the buyer. And there also can be a trust problem. The eBay can't necessarily guarantee that what the seller is selling is authentic and in the condition that the, the seller promised it's in. So, so to me, you feel like a, a two-sided marketplace, except um, you handle all the logistics and fulfillment. Um, so you, you basically can guarantee a service level, and you also act as a – sort of independent trust verifier that gets to see all that merchandise before the consumer buys it. That's exactly right. We are the we are the seller of record, you know, so we take possession of the goods. We have four distribution centers throughout the US and we're increasing our volume of those where those items are upcycled at an inc- at an incredible volume. I mean, we will up until today have have upcycled over the past couple of years over 60 million items. This year we'll, alone we'll do another 30 million. So Yes, we take possession of the goods. We make sure they're in like new condition. 
we photograph them and put them on a hanger and then we can ship them in a beautiful box wrapped in tissue paper and, and send them out to our buyers. And they are generally blown away by the quality of the product. Got you. And so does all that merchandise that you've received and onboarded live in a single fulfillment center somewhere in the U.S. or how do the logistics work? It lives in f- in four facilities uh, you know, distributed across the U.S. And um, we do all kinds of interesting things to, to route inventory and product to different centers depending on supply and demand and, and how the overall marketplace is performing. But, yeah, those, those four facilities uh, process all those items uh, for sale online and, and offline. Got it. And is everything in the fulfillment center available for sale right now? Or do you try to, I, I could almost imagine you get a lot of new merchandise from spring cleanings and there could be a lot of fall merchandise in that or winter merchandise in that, in, in that stuff. So do you try to sit on any of that or how does that work? You mean, how do we optimize for seasonality? That's a way more elegant way. So, of it, sure. <laughs> so, it, so it's a great question because, and it's a really tricky math problem because think about it from from the consumer's perspective they don't necessarily want to go into their closet and be like is this fall is this spring is this winter all they see is too much stuff and they want to open up a bag or open up a box and put it all in it and and move it out so all of that said you know we've been at this a while and we have millions of sellers and when a seller sends you a box of stuff there's an incredible amount of data that you know about that seller, their sizes, their brands, what they're what they're uh, what they what they're what brands and items they're moving into versus clearing out of as you get multiple bags over time. So we found that there are ways to influence what the what the seller will put in their cleanout bag to thread up, and um, it has a, it, it can have a significant impact. So. We are we are we work with with sellers in a way that's that's pretty light touch, but but people generally want to do the right thing. If they feel like they can put a few extra more seasonal things in a bag and maybe earn a little bit more because we'll see faster sell through on an item that's that's perfectly in season, we, we want to share those economics and incentives with sellers. We're not heavy handed about it. We try to use our data and what we can do on the types of people who we request bags from. That helps us. Because um, we just want to make it as easy as possible for sellers. But yes, we are every day getting more and more seasonally relevant. And I think it'll actually be, you know, a pretty, I think if I think ahead six, 12 months, I think you'll see the the seasonal element of our site really, really tick up because we're, you know, we have so many billions of data points on this now that we're, we're actually starting to figure it out. That's awesome. Um, and I, I can kind of imagine there's this, I don't know, a, a healthy tension on the one hand, you'd really like to incentivize that person to only send stuff to you that you know you're going to be able to sell and is highly monetizable and, like, frankly, that's going to let you come back to that seller with the best news. Hey, we got you a bunch of money. I can imagine there's a subset of your sellers that, like, uh, appreciate the money, um, but there's some catharsis, like, again, per your earlier point, they're Marie Kondo followers or whatever, and they're, they're, uh, you are a new, better way to get everything out of my closet than the Salvation Army was last season or something like that. And uh, in a way, you don't necessarily want to discourage those people because 10% of what they send you is going to be exactly what you want. You're just going to have to process. Like, So in general, do you try to get people to just send you the 10% that you're going to resell, or are you happy to take everything because it, it makes you more seller-friendly? This is something that how we treat sellers and how we think about their experience and why they they decide to order a thread up clean out bag has been 
something that we've always wanted to be very, very clear about from the beginning because you're exactly right. Do you, do you want them to only put perfect things in the bag or do you want them to, you know, to sort of shove everything in there? And there's real trade-offs. You know, the more prescriptive you get with people, the more they'll be like, you know what, this is a little bit too hard. But if you just let them do put anything in there, then it, then it becomes harder for us. And I think what we decided in general is that we want to make it really easy for consumers and let us – as uh, as a business that is built on reverse logistics and data, let us figure out and become the most amazing company at figuring out how to make the best use of those goods and monetize them in a way that's great for suppliers, great for our consumers, and great for the environment. So I think that has been our 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 challenge, you know. But I think we've come a very long way. And look, there's always. There's incredible benefits over the long term towards making things easy for consumers. And if we're the company that can figure out how to crack those problems, uh, then it puts you in a very powerful position. It builds quite a moat around that that volume and the quality of the supply that uh, customers are willing to send you. That's awesome. Let's talk about that reverse logistics for just a sec because it, it's funny in apparel – um, I've been in this industry long enough to uh, to remember when everyone's like, oh, no one will ever buy clothes online. Like they need to fit everything and feel everything. And uh, obviously that that uh, has clearly been disproven. But it is the case that the economics of uh, uh, e-commerce for apparel are more challenged than some other categories, largely because there is such a high return rate, right? And you talk to most retailers and it's like, Man, the return rates are crippling, and those returns are so expensive. The logistics of getting that stuff back, and then how that retailer dispositions that—can they resell it as new? What do they do? All, all of uh, those problems. Most retailers would say we're not very good at it, and it's a you know a, a core fundamental challenge with our economic model. Um, and I'm looking at you, and it's like that's your business is convincing people to send stuff to you. So I'm curious. Like, have you have you found a magic bullet? Like, what what is the experience, and how how do you tackle that that sticky reverse logistics challenge? We we found that the magic bullet is to be extremely transparent with your customers. So we love to say to our customers when they call customer service or when they write in that there's no such thing as free returns. You're paying for it somewhere. You're paying for it in the product. You're paying for it in your membership fee. You're paying for it somewhere. So what we like to say to customers is our goal as a business is to be able to list online the greatest volume of high-quality secondhand apparel at the lowest possible prices. And we will be explicit with you. This is what it costs for us to take that item if you send it back to us and put it back online, whether it costs 50 cents or 99 cents, whatever it is. And so if you send those items back to us, it's going to cost you this. But we also say to our customers, hey, if you are shopping with us and you don't seem to return a lot, we're not, we'll never charge you a return fee. If we, then we buy, but by equal measure, we'll say to customers who buy 10 things and return nine, hey, we, we see you've been up, you've been doing this. We love you, but you're killing us. And so, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a one more freebie, but if you keep returning 90% of the things you buy, we're going to have to start to charge you $1.99 per item to restock it. So we just want to be really upfront with people about the reality of the business. And because here's the good news about returns. They affect everybody equally. They're equally miserable for every e-commerce company. So what this forces us to do is just have the best possible product. The core proposition has got to be, you know, bang on as far as the brands we offer, the quality of the product, the selection, daily freshness, and pricing. So for getting all that right, 
then we should be able to sustain returns. If you can't, then you got to figure out a different business model. Got it. But so in general, it sounds like you almost have a dynamic pricing model, um, like based on customer behavior, but you're super transparent about it. Very transparent. There's no mystery. I mean, we call them, we call it a user level return policy. And, uh, and the, look, and there may be some customers who we say, you know what, we, we see you're returning a lot. If you want to pay $9.99 a month and you could return as much as you want, then, then we'll offer that to you. So I think, okay. I think we've just got to think about consumers. We've got to meet them where they're at and level with them about what it takes for us to stay in business. And if they love the product, they'll be like, you know what? I get it. Like, and so a lot of customers say to us, you know, I don't love actually returning nine things back to you. And so we actually created a product uh, called uh, Buy and Bundle where, you know, we found a lot of customers were buying lots of things and they were paying shipping, for, you know, from us to get the stuff sent to them and then returning stuff on the way back. We gave them this ability to kind of purchase things, but we didn't ship it till we had a critical mass of their items on the site. And then they would they would avoid the, the, the shipping fee. And so there's things you can do when you understand the job your customer is trying to do. Then you can start to say, OK, I see what you're trying to do. Here's what it's what it looks like on our end. And here are some here are some options and ways we can. Um, we can make it work for you and wait for work for us. We're we're big fans of that. We we love experimenting with things like that. We think it's the way e-commerce has to work. And yeah, there's no such thing as free returns. Awesome. Um, so one of the fundamental challenges you usually have with a two-sided marketplace is is you have to win at two things. You have to convince a bunch of people to be sellers on your platform, and you have to convince a bunch of people to want to buy goods from your platform. On most two-sided marketplaces, the strategy is usually to be great at one of those, which uh, facilitates the other. If you get a ton of buyers, it's easier to get sellers. If you get a ton of great merchandise, it's easier to get buyers. Like uh, in uh, your case, have you found that there's one side that you absolutely have to win at, or what? What is the strategy around customer acquisition? There are really two. So the the the, the needs and the and the complexities of the marketplace are significant. They're very different on on both sides. And so so let's start with with suppliers. G- you know, generally speaking. Our, our core supplier, the value proposition is, is to clean out their closet in a really simple way and to feel good about it. And so we've invested a lot of time and effort in delivering on that value. And so suppliers come to us in droves. We, we do not have a difficult time attracting suppliers to thread up. And one thing I think people are often surprised to hear about our business is they're like, well, okay, so they come once you know, and when do they come back? Like in two years? I'm like, no, they come back in like three months because they go out and they keep buying things. So it's not, it's not as if they clean out their closet and they're, and I'm good, you know, they're good like until the next season rolls around. So, so that side of the business is very viral. It, it drives itself. And for us, we spend a lot of time and effort understanding at really at the at the at the user level, you know how to get the best supply, how to get it at the right rate, how to manage that with the with the overall growth and scale of our marketplace. On the demand side, a little bit different. There's lots of places in the universe for people to buy inexpensive clothing. Uh, if you are looking to buy a eight dollar dress, you can go to Walmart. If if you're looking to buy an eight dollar J Crew dress, a little bit harder. So we we we've learned a couple different things on the demand side, which is that our brands matter. Customers love to find the brands they love and trust and whose quality they believe in at great prices. And the fact that it's secondhand is almost incidental to them. If we can maintain the quality part of the equation, they, they don't even I, I think they actually probably forget 
that they're shopping secondhand. I think another thing we found that uh, that that our customers love on the demand side, which is a key part of the, the value prop, and I'll come back to your to your acquisition point yep. in a second, is they love to see new things every day. We have customers who love to see new things on ThreadUp every hour, and they come back that that much. They're hitting refresh or they're going to their app that much because not unlike their Instagram feed, we're, we're all day long we're listing 60, 70, 80,000 fresh items every day. So if they didn't see that DVF wrap dress or that uh, Banana Republic jean jacket that they were looking for right away, if they come back in an hour at the rate at which we're processing goods through our system, there's probably something there that's, if not the thing they're looking for, it's pretty darn close. So that's a very powerful part of the demand side proposition that makes it a little, a little bit different from being just, you know, hey, I'm looking for a great value on clothing. And I think the final thing is one thing about millennials and, and uh, younger shoppers these days is that they never want to be seen on Instagram wearing the same thing twice. But at the same time, they, they don't want to be conspicuous consumers. They don't want to feel wasteful about what they're doing. And ThreadUp is, is an interesting solution to that problem because they can, they can scratch their itch for, uh, for, for a wardrobe that can move at the speed of their feed. Uh, but at the same time, they can take those things, put them in a bag, send them back to us and feel like they're part of the solution and not part of the problem. That totally makes sense. Uh, you you hit something in the in the course of that explanation that just occurred to me is uh, another logistics problem you have that's maybe more acute than a traditional retailer is you're onboarding a heck of a lot of new SKUs. So like I'm pick and uh, and you're not in most cases getting content from the manufacturer to to list those SKUs. So I'm picturing you have to have like a high volume photo studio and people writing a lot of like attributes for product listings, is that? Um... Yes, when, when, when a bag or a box of, and I say box because you can, the way that to send items to thread up is you can go to our website and request a clean out bag and we send one to you for free. It's a recyclable bag about the size of a hamper and has big green polka dots on it and it's uh, very cool. Or you can just print a label because we know that people have boxes from all their other e-commerce shipments sitting in the doorway of their house and we like to give them the opportunity to to have a, a slightly smaller impact so yes people send these stuff to us our customers suppliers send these items of clothing to us in these bags and boxes and when they come out of a bag they don't announce themselves they don't have a barcode they don't have a SKU. it's literally a pile of clothing and so what we have built over the past several years through through tens of millions of transactions is the ability to take you know, is to be able, to be able to take those items and begin to attribute them, their brand, their size, their measurements. And we do some of this with software and we do some of this with people because it's, it can be hard to teach a computer what an acceptable level of fading is on a, uh, on a black shirt, you know. So there's only certain things that, that, that humans, at least right now, can, can – um, certain things that computers can only divine so well so people still have to do it. But, yeah, we've built a system – where we can take all these items that come out of the bag unannounced and with no information and attribute them. And as we attribute them, those items magically transform from being stuff in a bag that was essentially valueless or worthless to the person who wanted it shipped out of their house to becoming an item that with every attribute that we add, brand size increases in price from five, 10, 20 to $30 because now it's a, now it's a fully formed living fresh item of clothing again to someone in the universe. And so that's how we do it. We don't get data from anyone. We we've, we've built all those systems in house 
and we are able to to characterize and categorize and photograph. Uh, you're, you're right. We have we we probably take more photographs on a on a daily or weekly basis than any retailer on the planet, and, uh, and that's how we do it. Gotcha. And so going back to the customer acquisition for um, buyers. Uh, I, I think of you as a digitally native company. You, you've uh, been around for a little while now. You have six years of history. Um, I generally see this kind of consistent progression that every new digital company launches, and based on their value proposition, they, there's some amount of organic traffic that they can acquire super easily. And, in fact, there's this pitfall in the first year. You see this nice hockey stick of growth, and you think it's going to keep happening for the next six years. Um, and, unfortunately, for most digital companies, it it doesn't like they grow fast to a certain point and then they start to plateau. And depending on their value prop, that plateau could be $60 million in sales. It could be a billion dollars in sales. It almost doesn't matter. But what happens is after that, it, it suddenly requires a lot more effective marketing to acquire new customers. And so I'm curious, six years in, I'm kind of assuming you're either at that point or you've already surpassed that point. And wh- what are you doing now to acquire customers and how's that working? So you're, you're right. I mean, and we've been through those cycles. I mean, I remember the days, oh, oh, those days of your when, you know, spending money on Facebook or Google was, was easy and satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You get to a certain scale and those auctions get more and more competitive and you need to start to do two things. You need to diversify the way in which you reach customers because on a if you're trying to build a predictable business where you can where you can grow smartly quarter over quarter, you can't just keep turning up the Facebook and Google dial and assume that the metrics are all just going to continue to work. So you've got to figure out a way to to grow efficiently by doing different things. Uh, in addition to doing the old things better and better, and then the second thing you need to do is you know, you just have to run a better business. I mean, if you, you whether that's through putting more product online or innovating the, the types of products or the types of solutions you deliver to customers based on what they're looking for, or it's, whether it's through margin expansion. So you, you, in the early days, it's easy to be, you know, when, when growth is, is easy, it's very satisfying to investors and to employees. It feels really good. Uh, but, but as you, as you get sort of further down that funnel, you need to think more holistically about the business and figure out how to grow. I mean, I think, I think for us, um, we, we feel that a, a real change has happened, you know, since we started the business six years ago and how we, how we think about secondhand clothing and resale and how, frankly, how the whole retail, how, how retailers are thinking about it, how brands are thinking about it. In the beginning, our vision was, Hey, you know, we're always going to take, uh, the items that we that we uh, um, the suppliers send to us in ThreadUp, and we're going to sell them on ThreadUp.com exclusively. And but what we've started to see is that customers are saying to us, "Look, you, you know, ten, twenty, thirty percent of my closet is secondhand clothing. So it's hey, you know, it's never going to be a hundred percent. But this is how I shop now. I buy some things new, I buy some things secondhand, and I I want to be able to find this product." In more places, it, you know, it's and it's sort of, it it was it was an it was a very exciting part learning for us to hear customers start to say that because it was clear that we had moved from oh yeah there's only this certain type of customer that buys secondhand to being actually over ten percent of our customers are millionaires so there's a broad range of people demographically psychographically that just wants a great deal and they want brands and it doesn't matter if they 
uh, need to based on their budgets or not. They want to because it feels like a smart thing to do and they're saving money and they're getting the product they want. So on the customer acquisition point, we're finding that, you know, so we opened four of our own stores and we're working um, and running some tests with some department stores where we have stores and stores where customers are actually thrilled to find secondhand product that's, that's as, that has the quality and the freshness and the brands that we have in places where they shop every day. And it's, it's, it has the potential to drive younger shoppers into these, um, offline uh, physical stores that want these younger shoppers who want these brands and want this type of experience and want this type of content. And it gives the ability for us to, you know, invest dollars in, in, in points of distribution that, that, are, that isn't just Facebook or Google or TV or Instagram or all the other well-known performance marketing channels that we love, but that as we try to try to expand and achieve our vision of inspiring a new generation of shoppers to think secondhand first, you have to be where they are and they're not exclusively on, on Facebook. Sure. Um, and I want to uh, drill into that, uh, brick and mortar tactic for just a second. Um, do you tend to think of those stores as a, a separate channel or separate P and L in that like, Hey, I'm going to invest a certain amount of fixed inventory that's going to sit in that one location and I'm going to measure how, how much money I made off of it or, do you think of it as a true marketing customer acquisition expense that causes, you know, a lot more eyeballs to become aware of ThreadUp and then, you know, maybe buy from you across any channel down the road? I think over the, over the long term, you need to make the case that these are powerful marketing vehicles and that they're really accretive to your overall acquisition and growth, you need a lot of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have four, like we do, it's it's still early days for us there. But I think, in, in you know, until you have a critical mass, you can make the case in Excel, you know, and any of us can do that. But, you know, in, in the early days, I think our view is, is the stores have to perform and they have to perform on their own without having to factor in unreasonable, you know, synergies you know, that everyone who walks by is a, is a, is, you know, it's worth a hundred dollars CPM, you know? So, so I think for us, it's a, it's a blend and it's a matter of, you know, the time frame. but look, I think it's pretty phenomenal if you can have your own stores and the stores can stand on their own financially and you can put the right product in them at the right price and draw new customers into the store and some returning customers. And if customers can bring a thread up clean out bag into the store and drop it off or pick one up. So there's, there's a number of, service functions that we can perform in that store that are really accretive to the business. But in the early days, look, make, make those things, make those things work. And then I think, yes, over time, I think my view would be, then you could start to lean into how, what an, what an amazing symphony you have between your online marketing spend and your, and your retail visibility. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, that just triggered a follow-up question. Are you, like, do you have any um, partnerships around drop-off locations? Like, I could imagine, you know, uh, like WeWork comes to mind or places like that where you, you could imagine, hey, there's a bunch of millennials that, that are working here. Let's make it super convenient for them to drop off those bags. Yeah, stay, stay tuned. So those are things that are that we're, where we're getting a lot of inbound interest from brands and retailers where they want to work with us to essentially – send a, a thread up or a co-branded thread up and we're doing this with reformation now where um where you can where their customers can get their hands on a reformation clean out bag and then reformation customers can put 
a bunch of the clothing they're not wearing from their closets in that bag. That bag comes to us, but then the customer gets shopping dollars to shop on Reformation. So it's a a really, really nice way to make a Reformation front of mind for customers when they're cleaning out their closets. And then they're not only front of mind when customers are cleaning out their closets – ThreadUp is then putting Reformation dollars into the customer's pocket to go and spend at Reformation. So it's a it, it's a really powerful way for a retailer brand to get right right up front and center when a customer is emptying those shelves in their closet, and you know the next thing they're going to do is stack them up again with new things. Yeah, so that's interesting because you can imagine uh, the first time a retailer sees the ThreadUp uh, e-commerce site, it could look competitive, and it feel that like that's a clever p- uh, pivot to make the uh, you feel like a, an incremental partner instead of a, a direct competitor. How do the brands feel about you? Like, do they hate the fact that you're you're you have ads on the internet for their stuff at a lower price point than they'd like, or? Do they like that it makes their customers feel better? You know, it, it's 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 evolved dramatically. So when when we got going on this, and when I started it at ThreadUp, it, you know, in the early days, six years ago, re- retailers were, were a little bit just puzzled, and and um, you know, they didn't they didn't pay us their brands, they didn't pay us much mind because we're, we're you know we're t- we're teeny, and I think the change that's happened is that these brands have seen that this is going on. Anyway, so if you go to Facebook and you go to a, a Facebook buy, sell, trade group and you can find 1,500 moms in Wisconsin who all they do is trade children's place dresses. You can find thousands and thousands of those. You could go to eBay and you could type in pick your favorite brand. You'll see tens of thousands of items. And then you can come to ThreadUp and you'll see tens of thousands of items. So the the resale economy is happening and it's growing. It's growing faster than retail. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to release our annual resale report where we put in all the stats around how the industry is changing. And um, so we can, I, we, I can send that to you. But so the point is, it's happening. And the difference between the early days when retailers and brands were like, huh? And now is that the retailers and brands are starting to come to us and say, okay, it's happening. Is there a way we can work with ThreadUp to participate? And it's it's a win-win, and I'll go back to the Reformation uh, partnership we have, where they 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 put a clean-out bag in their customers' hands, or again, their customer can print out a label. They clean out their closet and they get credit to shop. So it's great for us because we get terrific supply from those Reformation customers. It's great for for Ref because they get revenue. And what we're finding is that if a customer gets a hundred dollars. Uh, from their their bag that they sent to thread up, they spend far more on reformation than that hundred dollars right they, they They think of that hundred they got for the clothing they didn't they were no longer wearing is almost free money so and then it's it 's great for the customer because they have a cleaned out closet and they feel like they 're interacting with brands who are doing the right thing so it's it's a it 's a win 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 and we we expect over the next two five ten years to see hundreds of brands doing this, many retailers doing this because consumers are saying second hand's a part of my life. And we and Marie Kondo has been a great push to remind people that hey, you don't have to buy something and hold on to it forever. You're not buying it for ownership. You're really buying it for for use. And um, and so we we think we're one part of that story. And we're think we think smart retailers and brands are going to want to be part of it too. Interesting. Uh, so it, it's funny. Uh, I have the saying that a lot of retailers don't love hearing, but uh, my premise is that it's getting harder and harder to make a living selling other people's stuff. Um, and I would argue in a way that you're more insulated than most from that because 
while you're selling other brands' products, the version of it you're selling, I would argue, is part, partly is yours at that point because it's no longer you know, one SKU that a manufacturer made 30,000 of. It's a unique skill of one, a SKU of one with a unique value proposition and a bunch of unique attributes. Um, but that aside, uh, the way this plays out in general is most of the big retailers that used to be 90% wholesale are increasingly making their own product and leveraging their customer intimacy to make products that the manufacturer didn't see. And so like in, in the apparel space, I think of like a cat and Jack from target as being a phenomenal success. Um, I, I think it's probably super early days, but I read that you guys are starting to use some of the data you have from your customer base, uh, to venture into product manufacturing as well. Is that, do I have that right? You do. We, we, we tested something and we continue to test it called Remade. And it's essentially a – it's new product uh, that you can buy on ThreadUp. But it comes with essentially a, a buyback guarantee. So you you purchase it on ThreadUp and we say, look, if you return it to us in good shape, we'll give you 40 percent of your money back. And so you may wonder why did we why did we make new stuff if, if secondhand is – is uh, our our bread and butter. And I think what we wanted to understand, and we're still understanding it, is is there a group of customers out there, there are a segment of consumers who are like, hey, I like I like this whole secondhand thing and um and I and I and I need to to buy something new, but is, is this an easy way for me to try it out? You know, can I buy something new that comes with this buyback guarantee and it's sort of like a novel way to onboard a new type of customer who may not otherwise want to just come to the site and buy something. They may want to buy it new. And then so um, and I think it's it's been pretty remarkable to see how we can use the data we have on what's selling, what's trending, and then come up with, you know, a, a, a handful of items. And it's not really a line. There's a wrap dress in there and there's a floral top and there's some there's some very specific uh, items can we can we take that data create the right things and then attract a customer who otherwise may not have purchased on ThreadUp? And I think we're still evolving it and we're still learning. But you're right, the whole move towards private label is massive amongst retail, and for us, we're just trying to get as many people thinking um, secondhand first. And we're always experimenting with new ways to do that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that as a sort of trial customer acquisition tactic. That's clever. And I also, uh, there's a few brands that are like using customer data to invent products. And I, I think of uh, Stitch Fix as an example of a company that that's leaning into that. Um, and so when I read that you're doing it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's clever. They're selling some stuff. They know the attributes of the stuff they're selling. Um, they see what the browsing behavior is. They can leverage that data to make some products. Uh, during our conversation, it occurred to me, you actually have a ton more data about those sellers. And like, everything that's in their closet and what they kept. And so it, uh, it is interesting. It's a pretty potentially valuable data set in the long run. So I'll be looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. Uh, I want to wrap up with one question because we're running tight on time. Uh, we are here at a big e-commerce show, and you were, you were uh, talking on a panel about uh, the next big things um, and retail concepts that are taking off. Do you have a sort of view for the future? If we uh, come back to the show in five years, like what is the e-commerce industry going to look like then? I think what we'll see, at least as far as the the thread up growth plan and the trajectory we're on, is I just think you'll see amazing secondhand product 
everywhere. You'll see it in more places. You'll see it across more brands. You'll see it more integrated into the ecosystem. I also, I also think you'll see more rental product. I think you'll see, you know, packages or, or, or offerings like Stitch Fix, you know, continue to like wedge their way into America's closets. So I think if you think of the closet of the future, which we do a lot, and if in the past there was a there was a massive chunk for department stores and then a bunch of little specialty stores, I think those chunks, the department store chunk, is shrinking a lot, and off price has grown a lot. TJ Maxx and Ross and others who give brands a great prices and daily freshness. And then I think you'll see folks like us who who do resale. You'll see folks who do rental. You'll see. I think you'll see all these different modalities of shopping start to expand their share of that closet. And look, our hope and our mission is that um, it should be great for consumers. It should be great for the environment. Um, we're a very mission-driven company, and we're, we never forget the fact that the clothing industry is second only to the petroleum industry in being a polluter. And so, look, we, 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 we love at least the idea that we can try to be on the right side of history on this. And the more those brands and those concepts expand their way into closets to make – uh, to make us all live a little bit better is it could be a very satisfying world to be in. That is awesome, and that's going to be a great place to leave it because it's happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. As always, if folks have questions for Anthony or want to keep the conversation going, I encourage you to jump on our Facebook page, and we'll be happy to respond to you there. Uh, if you enjoy this show, this is a great time to jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. Uh, but, Anthony, if uh, listeners want to reach out to you or get involved in ThreadUp in some way, like what's the best way to reach you guys, like uh, social media or LinkedIn or your yeah, website? We're on all those places, on 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 facebook or on twitter or on uh on social or on linkedin yeah reach out we'd, we'd love to hear from you awesome we'll put some of those links in the show notes uh and uh, thanks very much for your time anthony it was a real pleasure to chat with you great to see you jason thanks until next time happy e-commercing you've been listening to the jason and scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing subscribe to us on itunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com 